once again, welcome to Harvest. We're so glad that you're here to worship with us today and excited uh, to be celebrating three years uh, with you and uh, just the goodness of our God as we sang earlier and just seeing him work and move over the last couple years has been um, very humbling and exciting and, and awesome. And so I'm, I'm thankful to be a part of that and I hope that you are too. Uh, today we want to just continue to worship him through the study of his word like we always do. So grab your Bibles. And if you need a Bible, there's a hardback black one somewhere there on the floor around you. You can grab one of those and follow along there with us as well. We're going to go to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. And um, we've been talking about, um, we've been going through the book of Acts this year. And our theme, as you can see from the banners, is Big God, Bold Witness. And uh, we've been learning how our witness is empowered, not just by us, but by the power of God in us through his Holy Spirit. And so this section of Acts, we've been looking at how can we be on mission with the Spirit? How can we be in concert with what the Spirit is doing and so we can join forces with him to see the kingdom of God go forth and grow and, and, and reach more people? And so uh, today we're going to look at, in Acts chapter 10, God's mission, has, um, sorry, God's mission knows no boundaries. And uh, just a really impactful story. A lot of story, got a lot of ground to cover today, so we're going to move fast, but uh, I think this is going to be a blessing to you. Um, let me start with this question. Have you ever been left out? You know what I'm talking about? Like, like not included, you know, not ignored. Everybody's had that experience, right? Like you've, at some point in your life, that's it's not a good feeling. Um, we, have, uh, we have three girls in our house, um, as many of you know, which means that there's always a third wheel, right? Like that's just the way it goes when you got three. And so um, there's always somebody being left out. And the other day we had one of the girls went to a friend's house for a couple hours and she was playing and and we've gotten some, um, some board games for our family for Christmas. And so we bust out the board games because we hadn't had a chance to yet. And we were playing with the other two girls. So the third sister comes home and finds out that we played the new board games without her. And the first thing she said was, that's not fair. Right? We hear that a lot at our house. I don't know about you guys, but that's not like, I'm like, well, you know what? Life's not fair. And then you die. So that's pretty much, that's always my response. And it, it's not always a great response, but it is true. And so that's, but that's what we hear. And her, her, she really wasn't worried about the fairness of it. What she was really saying was, I felt left out. Right? Like, I wasn't included in the family. I wasn't included in the fun. Like, she felt like she had been left out. And I think we've all had that experience at some point, either as a child, maybe even as an adult. It happens. But you know what's really good news today? Is that that never, ever happens with Jesus. Jesus doesn't leave anybody out. Like every time, all the time, Jesus is desire, that his heart is that all would come to him and would believe and would experience his love and would be included in the kingdom. And we're going to see that here in the text today. We are sent to everyone because the gospel is for everyone. This is the heart of our Savior, and it needs to be our heart as well. And we're going to see it here on display with the Apostle Peter in this story in Acts. So, um, like I said, we've got a lot of ground to cover today, so we're going to kind of move fast. So just kind of roll with me. The first point we're going to look at today, this is your number one point, God wishes for all to believe. Let me see if I can show you that here from the text. God wishes for all to believe. Start with me in verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. All right, so new character on the scene, Cornelius, all right? But what we're going to find out is Cornelius is a highly unlikely candidate for the gospel and for Christianity at this point in the game, right? He is not on anybody's radar. I was like, yeah, we need to go and tell that dude about Jesus. 
for a couple reasons. Number one, he lives in Caesarea. Caesarea was the Roman capital of the region of Judea at that point in time. So this is like the opposing force that has come in and conquered them. He lives in the capital city, and he's a centurion. Right? I mean, he was in the army, the oppressive, horrible, you know, just ruthless Roman army that was keeping the Jews under thumb. He was part of that. And we're going to find out he was a Gentile, which just basically means he's a, not a Jew. All right? And for the Jews, they thought if you were going to be part of the people of God, if you, were going to be, if you and God were going to have a relationship, you had to be Jewish. So he is not who anybody's going after with the gospel. He's unclean, as we're going to find out later in the story, according to Jewish laws and traditions. But then look at verse 2. It goes on, it says, He was a devout man who feared God with all his household, and he gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. So Cornelius is a highly unlikely candidate, and yet we find out that he is also open to God. He he is a devout man, meaning that he feared, he respected, he had he he thought that Yahweh was actually God, and he, we know this because he starts to kind of follow Jewish piety laws by giving alms. That's like giving to the poor and giving offerings and and praying and seeking God. And so there's there's something here in him that's that's going after this. And then verse three says, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He's lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called to his servants and a devout soldier uh, from among among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So we have Cornelius, unlikely candidate, yet open to God. And then here, all of a sudden, God shows up. Like God comes and initiates an encounter with Cornelius. It says that he has a vision, which was actually a fairly common way that God spoke to people throughout the early church in the book of Acts. So he shows up and he has this vision, and in the vision there's an angel. He doesn't really know that it's an angel, but he knows it's something heavenly. And so this angel comes down, and he's a messenger of God. Anytime you see angels in, in, the, in the Bible, they're always messengers. They're, they're speaking for God. Okay, that's their purpose. Uh, in our culture and common media today, there's lots of other purposes that we try to give angels. In the Bible, they speak for God. And so they come and he says, your prayers, your alms have ascended as a memorial before God, as a sacrifice, as an offering. God has seen and recognized that, man, you have a heart for him. And so here's what he wants you to do. Go go send and get Simon Peter and bring him back so he can tell you about God. And he gives them very specific instructions, like go to this city, go to this house, with this guy. Like he gives them all the play-by-play, right? They didn't have GPS back then. They didn't have iPhones, all right? So he had to know exactly where to go. God told him where to go, and he finds Simon Peter and bring him back. Do you know why he sent him to go find Simon Peter and bring him back? Because otherwise, nobody was coming to tell Cornelius about the gospel. He was not on the radar. He was not somebody that was going to get it unless God intervened. And God knew Cornelius' heart was for him. And so God personally comes and encounters Cornelius to invite him in to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because God has a heart that all would believe. He doesn't leave anybody out. 
We know this from 2 Peter 3.9. It says that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. The promise he's talking about there is the promise to judge our sin and give us his wrath. He's not slow to fulfill that promise. He is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's the heart of God. And that needs to be our heart as well. I want you to think back to your childhood for a second. Like if you, if you had to close your eyes or just kind of in your mind, just think back to your childhood. I know that's a longer journey for some of us than others, but just, just do your best, okay? Just go back to childhood for a moment. How many of you at some point in your childhood were part of a club? Like you had like a club with your friends. You, you remember those, those clubs, right? Like you would, you would have a club, maybe it was like around a, a sport or a hobby that you had in common, or maybe you had a special piece of clothing or some emblem that you wore together, or it was around like your... You're, how you're all weird in some way. Like you had like a club of something that was like, you know, like bonded you together, right? And you had your p- secret password or your handshake or your clubhouse. And it was, it, was, it was really great. It was great to be a part of a club. It was great to feel included, to share something with other people in common. But although they always seemed to start on a good note, like it was always, the purpose was to, to bring a group of people together and feel included by nature, clubs always end up being that others are excluded, right? Like, you don't fit into this. You don't fit the mold. You, you don't have the thing that we have. You're not, so you're out. And this is just human nature, I think. Not just kids. Adults do this too. Let's not even play like that's just a kid thing, right? Like, adults do the same thing. We make little clubs. We make things. We, we're in. You're out. And, and this plays out all throughout history, especially when it comes to religion. From the dawn of time, it's been, this is my God, this is my religion, and you can't be in. We see it in the Old Testament with the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews said, this is our, this is our God, everybody else is out. Earlier in Acts, we saw it with the the Hebrew Christians versus the Hellenist Christians. Remember, they had their little tiff over who was getting served more? Here we see it with the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians starting up. And we're going to see it more in the book of Acts. Unfortunately, even past the Bible in Christian history, we see this happening again and again. We have countries who, instead of going and evangelizing other countries who were lost, they went to conquer them and to force them into submission. We have, even in our own country's American history, unfortunately, there was a time early on where we counted certain people and certain races as less than human. So therefore, they weren't worthy to be evangelized and they weren't included in our churches or in our gospel. This is the pattern. And we're like, well, Michael, we're, we're past all that now. Like, we, we understand, we, we, we know better. We don't do that anymore. We don't, that's not who we are anymore. And, you know, we, we, yeah, the, the gospel is for all nations and for all people and for all races. We would, we would say all of that. But maybe it's found its way in more subtle components, like rich and poor or citizen and immigrant. That's a popular debate right now in our country. Or maybe it's Christians and Muslims. Are there still certain groups around us that we don't think to take the gospel to? That we don't think are worthy or we don't think are part of our time or they're not our responsibility? Like, they're beyond it. They're, they're too far gone. They're not going to receive what we have. And so we leave them out of the club. 
God has never seen it that way. That was never the heart of God. He loves and desires that all people would be made, that are made in his image, would believe in Jesus and be saved. I'm so thankful that he included me. Are you, are you thankful that he included you? Right? That he looked at this guy and as worthless as I was and as much problems and sin and issues, like he was like, I'll, I'll take you on my team. This is the heart of our God. And if we're going to be a church that glorifies him and fulfills his mission, we have to have a heart that is for all people to come and hear and believe. The people at your work, the people in your home, the people across the street, the people across the city, and maybe the parts you don't go to, all of them. God does not reserve his saving love for a select group of people, so neither can we. We don't have that option if we're going to be followers of Christ. So God desires that all would believe. Second point today is this. God sends us to all who will believe. God sends us to all who will believe. Let's keep going with the story. Look at verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And we became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens and something like a great, I'm sorry, saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Second point, God sends us to all who will believe. The first thing we see here is despite our prejudices. See, Peter had a prejudice here that was built on years and years and years of Jewish teaching. So he's up on this roof, he's praying, he's talking to God, he's kind of hungry, and then he falls into this trance, which is basically another word for vision. He has like this, this type of vision where the heavens opened up, which anytime the heavens open up, you know something's coming from God, right? Like, so the heavens opened up, and this sheet descends down in front of him, and it's filled with all these animals, especially unclean animals, animals that the Jews were not allowed to eat according to the Jewish traditions and laws. They were unclean animals. And they were the types of animals that the other people ate, those Gentile people, the ones that, that we don't think are part of the club, right? The outsiders, like the ones that aren't with us. This is the food, this is the animals they eat. I don't eat these animals. But those are all the animals he sees. And God's voice comes down and he tells him, kill and eat. In other words, disregard all those other Jewish food laws. Like you just, you just go for it, man. Just, you're hungry, just get in there. Peter's response, as a good Jew, he's like, by no means, Lord. Like, I, I've never eaten something unclean. Like, yeah, I would never eat this stuff. Is, it, is this a test? Like, why are you telling me to eat? Are you trying to test me here, God? Because you know I can't eat this. It's unclean. But then God says, what God has made clean, do not call common. And in that moment, God removed the labels that were put on 
in this case, food, as unclean by the Old Testament. You see, the only reason the animals were ever unclean in the first place is because God said they were. (laughs) It wasn't anything inherent in the animals. It was God said, you're set apart, so don't eat these animals. It was a sign of, of, of contrition to the Lord. It was a sign of holiness before God. God says, all right, all that's, gone, all that's gone now. It's all open. And all the church said, hallelujah, we can eat bacon. All right, that's just, that's what happened right here, okay? This is the moment where it became good. That's right. And what this means now is if there's no unclean food, then there's no unclean people. Because the people were unclean because the food was unclean. Peter's starting to, starting to try to follow what God's doing here. And God, he's kind of slow. Peter's kind of a slow guy. So God says it three times. Just to make clear, like, do you have this? I'm, this is, you need to get this. This is important right here. Because God wants to remove any prejudice that we have that stops us from taking the gospel to the lost. He was doing it here for Peter. And he wants to do the same in our hearts and our lives. Not over food stuff. I know that's not our thing anymore. But anything we have that separates us from another person or a group of people, and we see them as different or separated or unworthy or unwilling to respond, and that we will not talk or take the gospel to them, God wants to tear that down. Keep going with the story. Look at verse 17. It says, Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed, as to what the vision had, he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry of Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house to hear what you have to say. So he invited them to be his guests. Second thing I want you to see in this, in this part is this. God calls us to, to, sends us to all who will believe, even despite our perplexities. It says here that Peter was inwardly perplexed. In other words, he didn't understand. He was trying to make sense of the vision. It wasn't clear yet. He's trying to figure it out. And while he's trying to figure it out, the Spirit steps in, which is always helpful when you can't figure something out. The Holy Spirit starts talking to him and says, hey, there's some guys downstairs. I've sent them. Go and accompany them without hesitation. Why, why, Why would he hesitate? Because they were Gentiles. I don't hang out with Gentiles. I don't go with Gentiles to Gentile cities to Gentile houses. Like, that's not what I do. But God says, no, no, no. I sent them. Go with them without hesitation. And so Peter goes downstairs and he says, hey, guys, I'm Peter. What do you want? And they say, hey, Cornelius sent us. And they, they, you notice how they give, like, the whole thing. Like, he's a centurion, but God-fearing man, Jews love him, had a vision with an angel. Like, they, like, preface the whole thing. Of, and by the way, you need to come to his house. You need to come to a Gentile's house, which means you're going to eat a Gentile's food, which means you're going to be with unclean people, unclean food. Like, and so now Peter's like trying, like all the pieces are kind of there, and he's trying to put it all together. And so then it says Peter invited them in to the house to stay for the night, which again, you didn't do that. 
you didn't invite a Gentile into a Jewish house to stay. Like, this wasn't part of the program. But Peter's starting to break through. He's starting to see things differently. God wants us to trust him on mission, even when we are perplexed by his ways. There are times that God will tell you to go and do something or say something or reach out to someone and you don't understand it. And you're like, God, they're not, they're going to get mad or they're going to say something like it's going to be dangerous or, or they're going to, I'm going to, you know, something bad's going to happen at work. Or we're like, and we don't understand what God's telling us to do. And it doesn't seem like it makes sense. We're perplexed. And God says, trust me, just do it. Peter does that here. Keep going. The next day, he arose and went away with him. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And they said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or even to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. And I asked, then, why you sent for me? Last thing here is God wants to send us to all who will believe despite our protests. See, the next day, Peter gets up and he goes with these guys. And it doesn't say anything in the text here, but just think about this. He has been a faithful Jew his entire life. Everything in him, that little voice inside the head, you know, that you've got going on, all it's doing right now at Peter is screaming at him, this isn't right, don't go, you're going to get in trouble, you're going to mess up. Like, he has these internal protests, I guarantee you, that are just pounding him right now. Because everything in him tells him this is not right. But he goes anyways, because God told him to. So he goes with these guys, they... They get there to Caesarea, they get to Cornelius' house, and they find out that Cornelius has called together all of his relatives and all of his friends. I love this. Cornelius is like on fire, man. He is like, everybody's got to hear, like Peter's coming, the, the, God's going to tell us something, like you got to hear this, and he gets all of his people together, which is awesome for Cornelius, kind of freaky for Peter, right? Because now he's not just going to one Gentile's house to talk to one Gentile guy. Now he's going to like a Gentile party, Right? which means there's going to be tons of Gentile food, and it's just like over, like he is just surrounded by these people. And he gets in, and I'm sure he's overwhelmed, and the first thing he says to them, like, not a great way to start a party, by the way. He gets in, he says, listen, guys, it's unlawful for me to be here. Like, I, like it's against everything in my law, everything I've been growing up, all the Jewish laws, the Jewish traditions, I shouldn't be here because of y'all. Awkward, right? And then he says two of the most powerful words in the Bible. But God. But God has shown me not to call any person unclean. Hold on. Is that, is that what the angel said? He wasn't, the angel wasn't talking about persons. What was the angel talking about? Food. But Peter has made the transition. God said, all the food's clean. That means, guess what? All the people are clean. And here, Peter has, has made the bridge. He's connected that if, 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 if this doesn't 
unqualify me, if this doesn't make me unclean, then I'm free to go and evangelize and to share the gospel with anyone. And all persons are free to come to Christ now. Peter has finally overcome his prejudice, his perplexities, and his protests to see that God is sending him to all who will believe. Now, you know, today, in our day and age, in our culture, we don't tend to struggle with the Jewish-Gentile food thing anymore. Like, that's not our thing, right? Like, we're all, most of us in here, if not all of us are Gentiles, we're good. Like, we're just happy, like, this happened, right, so that we get to be in. But I, I think, in fact, even if I was to question or put out, you know, a discussion question right now, we would, I think we would get a consensus in here that, yeah, absolutely, the gospel is for everyone, the gospel is for all nations, I'm totally on that, Michael, we should preach the gospel to everyone. We would say that with our lips. But do we say that with our lives? Do our, does our lifestyle, do our actions, do our relationships, do our habits, do they show that we are actually trying to engage everyone with the gospel? Or are we comfortable to just stay in our little bubble of people that are like us? Are we actually engaging those who are different than us? Other races? Are we engaging people who we would think would maybe be anti-gospel, like maybe homosexuals or atheists or Muslims, those who have already in some way said, I'm not really on that. Are we willing to still love them and have a relationship with them and, and give opportunity for them to meet Jesus through us? Or do we just ignore them and write them off and move on? We have all kinds of people around us every single day. And so often we just ignore or put our heads down and keep going. We just overlook. And we don't take time to see them and try to engage them. Because if we're really being honest, we've got some deep down resentment, prejudice, fears, something that's blocking us from engaging them with the gospel. But that's not the heart of God. So to kind of help us get our minds around this and illustrate this a little bit, I've got a, a little video testimony here I want to show you. This is Giselle, and she's going to tell you her story um, and of how God calls us to reach everyone and not exclude anyone. Let's watch this real briefly here. Everything that we did and everything that we believed built on that foundation of knowing who we are as Muslims in America. Giselle Katri grew up in a family who demanded strict adherence to the Quran and Islamic faith. For her, it was the only way to earn her parents' love. I believe that staying true to Islam was something that my parents and I uh, would bond over. If I did, as they requested for me to do, like going to the mosque with them and, and participating in Ramadan fasting, it would bring us closer. But none of those things brought Giselle's family closer together. In fact, her parents fought constantly. Sometimes I would wake up and I would have to leave the house with my mom in the middle of the night. I could go to bed thinking everything's fine and wake up the next morning and it was disaster. As for Giselle, her prayers to Allah offered little comfort. Allah seemed just really distant from me and didn't really feel as though I was being listened to. I felt more of like I was going through the motions, not really feeling anything. 
in return from God any love or support or hope. I wanted that peace that people keep talking about um, that Islam represents, and I didn't ever feel that. When Giselle was a senior in high school, her father ended the marriage, and her mother started a new family. After I went through all that with my family, I just kind of felt like I wasn't worthy of any affection or love, and so I looked for it for my parents and didn't get it, and um, it kind of was a reminder, hey, Giselle, you're not that you're not that great. If you were great, your family wouldn't have left you behind. The thought of the future, even the thought of tomorrow, the very next day, would just bring me into a panic because I just never knew what was going to happen. During college, she started working part-time at a private school. By then, Giselle's anxiety was triggering debilitating panic attacks. Imagine you see a car about to hit you that's not slowing down or trying to stop. It was just like that, but all the time. I thought I was gonna die. My heart rate would just increase. Um, I would start sweating and just, I felt darkness, like a dark cloud over my head. During those times, it wasn't Allah that gave Giselle comfort. It was the school's administrator, Connie, who was a Christian. Whenever I would have panic attacks at work, she would pray with me. I would feel a lot of peace. And I never felt that way when I finished praying my Islamic prayers. I was like, what is Miss Connie doing? What does she have that I don't have? Whatever it is, I want it. Connie invited her to church, but what Giselle saw and heard there wasn't what she expected. During that service, I learned about atonement, how Jesus died for our sins. As a Muslim, I didn't really even understand why Jesus had died. It was just kind of like, hmm, maybe this is true. It was kind of like a something, it gave me something extra to think about. Parts of the Quran were already wrong about what Christians believed. Um, it wasn't representing Christianity in its truth. It just kind of made me question a lot, a lot more. Giselle wrestled with her doubts. A few days later, she had the worst panic attack she'd ever experienced. I was like, maybe I should try what Miss Connie did. Maybe I should try, try praying. So I started off, you know, praying like she did. I tried to model her prayer and say some of the words that I remembered her saying. When I did that, I remember seeing this huge flash of light in front of my face, and it was kind of like when you close your eyes and you look at the sun, that orangey glow, and feeling an overwhelming huge wave of just peace and love. And I fell immediately asleep, and sleep was the last thing on my mind. When she woke up the next morning, Giselle opened a Bible she had received as a gift and began reading it front to back. What I found in there was just so much peace. And Isaiah 49, it mentions how God is so loving that even if a mother forgets um, about their child or abandons their child, that God will never abandon you and that your name is written on his hand. And I very much identified with that. And knowing that God loved me and um, cared about me in that way, that was something unique to me that I had never even had any sort of inkling about. So. God really showed up when, um, when, he, when I needed him the most, so. Over the next few weeks, Giselle studied and compared sources until she was convinced that Jesus is the Son of God. I really came to the knowledge of, okay, Jesus claimed to be God, and if this is true, what are the implications of that? The resurrection isn't just mentioned in the Bible. The crucifixion isn't just mentioned in the Bible. There's historical accounts outside of the Bible. That really resonated with me, and knowing that there is history behind it, 
tells me that there's truth in that. And I just said, God, I accept that you are who you say you are. I accept that you're Jesus and I accept that you are God. And I am sorry for the things that I've done that have hurt your heart. Um, I'm just so glad that you've brought me to the knowledge of who you are and I accept you as my God. And that was the day that, you know, after that, never again panic in any sort of way, never again. Today, Giselle shares her new faith with confidence. I want everything that I do and I say to represent him. And that gives me such an amazing purpose in life because I'm God's representative here. I get to be his hands and feet and show other people what God's like. And just like Miss Connie showed me the love of Jesus through her actions and through her prayers with me, I can now do that for other people. Giselle also says knowing God cares for her has changed everything. Instead of me being fearful for tomorrow, I embrace it and I um, am running into it. I can no longer think that I'm worthless because if my name is written on God's hand, as Isaiah 49 mentions, then that means that he cares immensely about me and he's always thinking about me. So I need to always think about him. <laughs> It's a great testimony, obviously, and so thankful that Giselle um, found Christ. But that story wouldn't be possible. It, it may have never happened. She may never have found salvation and found freedom from anxiety if Miss Connie hadn't first stepped up to say, I'm going to love this girl. I'm going to pray with her. I'm going to share my faith with her, even though she's different than me, even though she maybe would not normally be somebody I would interact with in this way. I'm going to believe that God has something for her as well. And that's what he wants for all of us. We have to overcome that cultural stereotypes, those preconceived notions, those personal prejudices, in order to reach out to many who we would maybe ignore or write off otherwise. That's exactly why God here is calling Peter and all of us Christians in this passage to do just that. We can't say the gospel is for everyone if we don't live that in reality of relationships in our life. The words aren't enough. God does not exclude anyone based on prejudice or protest, so neither can we. God does not exclude anyone based on prejudice or protest, so neither can we. third and final point I want you to see today as we pull this together is that God saves all who do believe. He wishes that all would believe. He sends us to those who will believe and he saves all who do believe every time without exception. Let's look at this. Look at verse 30. It says, and Cornelius said, so Peter's like, hey, why am I here? And Cornelius said, four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask Simon, uh, for, uh, for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. It's a pretty good setup for Peter, right? He's like, hey, we're all ears, man. Just lay it out. And look at Peter's first statement in verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. 
the reason that God saves all who believe is because it's God saves based on who he is. It all is back, rooted back in the character of God. That God shows no partiality. That every person made in his image, every nation, is acceptable to him if they will come and believe. This is actually how he planned it from the beginning. This is a big misconception, I think, for Christians and, and Old Testament and Judaism and so forth. But back in Genesis chapter 12... When God first spoke to Abraham and said, I'm going to create this new nation, the Jews, uh, uh, out of your family, here's what he says. Verse 2, and I will make for you, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, good, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you, in you, Abraham, in you, Jewish people, all the families... All the families or all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. God chose them to be the megaphone that took the gospel to all the other nations, not to just hold on to it for themselves. You see, Israel took and twisted the doctrine of election into a doctrine of favoritism. They're not the same thing. God chose them to use them to make his name great among the nations. He didn't choose them so they would be the only ones. But that's the way it got twisted. And so here, with Peter, with Cornelius, he's correcting that. He's willing, he says, to accept anyone who fears him, who believes in him, who comes to him as God. So then Peter jumps into how to be saved, basically. Tells them the story of Jesus. Look at verse 36. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, for he is Lord. So this is how he starts off, right? Because God saves based on what he did. That's number two. Based on what he did specifically in Jesus. So Peter tells him the gospel story of Jesus. He says that God sent Jesus um, to bring peace. To bring peace. You see, for us as humans, we're all sinners. We're all in rebellion against a holy and perfect God. That we are deserving wrath and hell and death and, and, and we are at an animosity with the holy God. That's how we are naturally in our, in our natural state. And God said, I, I want peace with my people. I want reconciliation. I want a relationship. And so he sent Jesus to bring peace, Peter says. Because he is the Lord of all. He's over all people. This is the resounding anthem of the gospel. That Jesus is Lord over all, and so you can come to him, and he'll bring peace to your life. Peace with God. And he keeps going. Look at verse 37. You yourselves know what happened through all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. This is who Jesus was. God in the flesh coming. God has anointed him. He is with him. He's going around. He's healing people. He's preaching the gospel. He's doing good. He's bringing people into the faith and into the kingdom. And then, verse 39, And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Says this guy who was God in the flesh that was doing good and healing people, he went to the cross and he died a sinner's death. Anyone in this time period who heard 
that someone died on a cross, especially those who in the Roman world would think, man, they must have been a horrible person. Because only the worst people got sent to that. But he just said, no, he was good. He was healing people. He was doing all this stuff. And yet he still, they hung him on a cross because he was giving his life as a sacrifice. He was going to be a substitute and to die in our place for our sins. Taking all that upon himself so that we don't have to. So we can have peace with God because he's paid for the wrath that we deserve. And then it says that he, God raised him on the third day to show that he was God, to show that he was who he said he was and that he came to do exactly what he said, bring peace and forgiveness and salvation to all who would believe. And he goes on, 41, not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses. That's why he showed himself to the disciples so they could be witnesses to others about the story who ate and drank with him after, those who, uh, after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. So that's why I'm here. Because our whole job is to tell everybody that Jesus is the way. And then look at verse 43. I love how he brings it together. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone, the Jewish prophets told us that everyone, who believes in him, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. That the gospel is for everyone, including me, including you, and including everybody in that room. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And then look at verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things. So like Peter's like mid-sermon. He's not even done yet. He hasn't even done the altar call, right? And it says the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. So the Holy Spirit comes down and just saves all these people in the room. And the believers who were among them, those who came, the, the guys who came with uh, Peter from Joppa, right? The, the, of the circumcised, it means they were Jews, who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and then they asked him to remain for some days. Here's the last thing, guys. God saves based on who believes. He saves based on who he is, he saves based on what Jesus did, and most of all, he saves based on whoever believes in him. Here, they believed, and the Holy Spirit came down and filled them. That's how you know. Have you had that experience yet? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world, the King of all people, and allowed him to wash away your sins and to give you peace with God again? If you have then you've received the Holy Spirit. You've had this experience. If you haven't, do that today. Don't miss this opportunity. So the Holy Spirit falls and indwells the Gentiles, basically the same thing it did to the Jews at Pentecost. This is like the Gentile Pentecost, okay? This is like repeat here. And it says the Jews were amazed because even the Gentiles, I love how it says it, even the Gentiles got the Holy Spirit. They can't believe it. Really? Even the Gentiles? Well, yeah, if they believe. 
See, we're not preaching a, a gospel that says that every single person in the world, God's going to save because he loves them all. That's not what the text says. It says he will save everyone who believes. It's predicated on your faith in him. He's more than willing to do it. He would love to do it. He would want nothing more for you than to come to him and be saved. But you have to take the step of belief. And then Peter remains with them because the gospel remained with them. And now we're all good. We're on the same team. And I can help you guys. And we can keep taking the gospel further to the nations. Because the gospel is for everyone. And it's our job to take it to them. Today we're celebrating three years as a church. And, um, but this church planting journey started about six years ago for those who were, of us who were at the very beginning, okay? And I remember six years ago when God first started speaking to me about planting a church and, and, and moving this direction in ministry, and I started sharing that with others. And, and uh, a lot of times I would get the question, like, why would you want to plant a church, right? And, and there were lots of nuances to that question. It didn't always mean the same thing. Like sometimes it was like, like, why do you want to plant a church? There's plenty of other churches. Why do we need more churches? Um, some would say it in the sense of, you know, you know, are you too good to just go be a part of a church? You have to plant your own church? Oh, okay, Mr. Awesome Churcher Guy or whatever. Like, like, it's like a pride thing. Sometimes it was just like, we've heard about those things. They're crazy. Why are you doing that? Right? Like, the, it doesn't, it's not easy. It's hard. Like, don't do that. So there's lots of different ways that question was asked. And a lot of times my response simply was, God said so. Like, that was kind of the starter response. But as we started walking through that process, God started developing in my heart and my mind why God desires for more churches like ours to be planted. We planted this church three years ago, first of all, because every year, thousands of churches close their doors. And, we, and the amount of churches are actually declining in relation to the growing population of our country. We need more and more and more churches to reach the number of lost people that we have in our very own country. We planted this church three years ago because if every church in St. Louis was filled to capacity every single Sunday, every single service, there would still be thousands upon thousands of people in this city who have nowhere to worship, nowhere to meet Jesus, nowhere to hear the gospel. We need more churches. We planted Harvest three years ago because every single study shows that the most effective evangelistic tool to reach lost people are new churches. Harvest, we exist today, three years old, for the exact same purpose that we started three years ago, to reach the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ and make disciples that will make disciples that will make disciples. It's for this reason right here. We're here today because God saves everyone who believes and he sends us to find them. That's our part. He wants to save everyone who believes and he sends us to find them and to invite them in and to love them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I said at the beginning, we are sent to everyone because the gospel is for everyone. Listen, 
you're here today, I said this earlier, but if you're here today and you have not yet believed in Jesus Christ and been saved from your sin, man, I, I, I beg you, I plead with you, I ex- exhort you, whatever other word I can come up with, do it now. If this is true and you don't, there's nothing good waiting for you on the other side of death. But if it's true and you believe and you trust and you follow Christ, not only in this life, but all of eternity, you'll be at peace with the holy creator of all things. That's a relationship I want to have. It's a relationship I want you to have. For the rest of us who've already repented of our sin and trusted in Jesus and he's brought us into the family, we're here, we're called, we're sent by our Savior to take the gospel to everyone. And that is exactly what we're going to do. As long as this church exists, that is what we're going to do. The day we stop doing that, shut it down, close the doors, burn it. If we're not doing this, we're not doing anything. The gospel's for everyone. And we need to be committed to that. So let's do that right now. Stand with me. Let's pray. Let's sing. Let's ask God to light this flame afresh in our heart today. Heavenly Father, we bow before you this morning just so thankful for all that you've done, for all that you're continuing to do in our lives, in our families, in our church, in our city. God, you are awesome. We thank you for this truth today, Lord, that you show no partiality. Lord, that you are patient with all of us in our sin, ready to forgive, ready to receive. We know, Lord, that many of us would not even be here today if it was not for you. If it was not for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, if it was not for the fate fact that the gospel is for everyone, we would be lost. So, Lord, remind us of that today. Lord, give us your heart. Give us your urgency to go on mission and to take the gospel to everyone around us. Lord, help us to build our church, to build our lives on the love of your gospel and send us out on your mission. We love you. Thankful for you. Thankful for your grace. Pray all this in Christ's name.